Hello and welcome to another Expert Insights show. Each show, your host Donna Hansen interviews an expert on the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and profit both in business and personally. And now, here's your host, Donna Hansen. Hello and welcome to this Expert Insights show. In today's Expert Insights show, we speak with US-based public speaking coach, Lisa Braithwaite, who is the author of the book, Presenting for Humans. And our topic for today is how presentation skills impact on your own and your organization's productivity. But before we meet Lisa, I'd like to tell you a little bit about her. Before starting her business as a public speaking and presentations coach, Lisa developed programs and training materials in the non-profit sector. She's been interviewed in a wealth of publications in the US, including the Chicago Tribune, LA Times, Wall Street Journal, and on Inc.com. Today, we're going to speak with Lisa about how presentation skills impact on your own and your organization's productivity. Welcome, Lisa. How are you today? I am fantastic. Great to be speaking with you. (laughs) It is. It is. I'm looking forward to our conversation and some insights on, uh, on presentation skills. Now, before we get started, some of our listeners might be thinking, I don't do public speaking or presentations. Why would I need presentation skills? Why should everyone have some basic presentation skills? Well, you mentioned a minute ago that I had a career in nonprofits before Mm -hmm. I started doing this coaching work. And even when I worked in nonprofits, I knew I was selling. All the time I was selling, I was pitching. Because we're all always selling ideas. Mm. We're always trying to persuade people to come around to our way of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're always trying to change people's minds or change their attitudes or change their behavior. And it doesn't matter whether it's in business where we're trying to get people to use our company's product or service, or whether we're trying to persuade people to come to meetings on time or whether it's trying to convince our partner to try a new restaurant or go to see a certain movie. Basically, the power of persuasion is a critical aspect of all communication. And this is just one of the key aspects that you learn when you build your presentation skills. So does that mean presentation skills and persuasion are very closely related? Yes. Because the truth is there's hardly any reason to get up in front of an audience to give a a presentation unless you're trying to persuade them of something. Otherwise, you could send out a report or send, you know, the way some people give PowerPoint presentations, you wonder why they don't just email them out to everybody. (laughs) But really, you could just send a report by email or do everything without uh, face-to-face communication. But the reason we stand up and give face-to-face presentations is because of the human element of emotion. We're trying to activate people's emotions. And by activating their emotions, we get them to take action. So all any kind of any time you want people to take action, you are calling on persuasion. And I guess it's harder, like you mentioned before, about sending out information, you know, 
if all you wanted to do was inform, uh, but in effect, presenting is to um, make that emotional connection and try and move that forward into some action. Whereas if you, you just had something where you were just presenting data, you might just be sharing knowledge, etc. But the, the sole purpose of presentation skills is to activate somebody into action or persuade them about um, a position or a perception or a, um, a situation. Exactly. And in fact, the way you said that just now, you've made me want to write a blog post about this. <laughs> because I think people do forget that. I, you know, people, we have all been told that the purpose of presentations is to inform, persuade, to educate, or, and or to entertain. Mm. But there really is no such thing as a, a presentation uh, that's just information that really is, has any point. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Again, if you're just going to stand up and give information, you can send out an email and, and tell people to email their questions back to you or whatever. There's no reason that 100 people need to sit in a room just to be given information. Really, the purpose of a face-to-face -face presentation is to activate people's emotions to get them to take some sort of action. And um, thank you for helping me crystallize this because... <laughs> You know, you know how it is talking things out a lot of the time really helps you focus an idea really well. And I've decided I'm going to write a blog post on this now. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess too, when you think about it, if you were just wanting to inform somebody, you know, there's a huge amount of expense associated with bringing people together to present, whether it be yes. you're bringing hundreds of people together just to share some information, whether it, you're doing it in a face-to-face -face version or whether you're doing it online using some sort of uh, webcast type tool, or um, you're just doing it with two or three people. There is a cost associated with that, mm -hmm. just as there's a cost associated with sending uh, a summary electronically. But the cost is higher when you bring people together because... Uh, you know, you've got the cost of lost productivity. You've got the cost of mm -hmm. having those people in the room so they're non-productive, and I use the air quotes there, because they're, <laughs> they're taken out of their work role in order to be a part of this information. But I guess the plus side to that is, you know, you can be sure that they're getting the information as right. opposed to an email where they're getting the information, but you've got no guarantee of them reading it. You'd like to think that in a face-to-face -face type presentation, uh, people are likely to remember something, even though you could feel like you're talking at them. You could, you could hope so, especially when a lot of people who give information-based presentations don't make them very engaging or um, interesting because people tend to think, well, information is information and I don't want to add a lot of, and I'm doing air quotes now, fluff. Um, so <laughs> so the, the information type presentations are the most boring kinds of presentations and it's really hard to retain information, uh, retain information and retain your learning if there's no engagement and nothing to activate your emotions around it. Um, and I, you make a great point about productivity because I know one of the things you want to talk about today is public speaking and productivity and what a waste of time it is to bring people physically into meetings or even on a webinar or something like that when they don't really need to be there in person. If there are better ways 
of getting straight information to them. That's a huge productivity killer right mm-hmm. there. Mm. And I'm, I'm thinking even if it was information based, I'm imagining if you're going to do something like that face to face, it's not just because you want people to know about stuff. It might often be that you want to create some purposeful conversation to collaborate, to consider and explore different ideas. And that sort of um, interaction and dialogue, you don't get by sending a report out to somebody. You get by creating um, a framework of conversation that, that almost ends up, I guess, it's a little bit different to presenting information. It's a facilitated discussion where you might mm-hmm. go, you've read this report, now we want to create some time and space to come together and talk about what does this mean for us. Right. And again, what you're talking about right now is action. Mm. You're talking about getting people into action around information, right? So if you want them to come together and discuss what are the implications for our company or how do we apply this, what, what does knowing this information do for us? Those are all things that are still going to move us forward in some way. So in that case, the discussion and the conversation is valuable, Mm. And and uh, I guess that brings us back to that secondary question I asked. So why should everyone have some basic presentation skills? It's so that they can uh, activate, they can take action, they can persuade people, they can get an emotional connection. Um, but it also is a mechanism to be able to communicate, cooperate and collaborate, which are three of my favourite words relating back to productivity. I love that. I'm a a big believer in that, you know, when we create that time and space to have some conversations and get away from the busyness of stuff, again, the air quotations, we start to share ideas and um, have some quality conversations that really Mm -hmm. you you can't have, you know, in the corridor, you know, passing from one meeting to another or standing at someone's desk. You know, they're very organic, aren't they? Right. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because I have had a couple of clients who seem to be more in technical fields, but hallway conversations are really, are a really important part of their overall sort of communication strategy. And when I come in and I'm, I'm invited in to do training around public speaking, I'm often asked to talk about the hallway conversations and how can their hallway conversations be more productive and be more organized and more structured. And that's just so, that's so foreign to me. Uh, well, in, yeah, in, my, absolutely. in my world, right? But these are people who I think their, their hallway conversations a lot of times, you know, have to do with some particular technical project that you you're con- you're constantly having to interact with people in different departments and doing different pieces and parts of the project and the hallway conversations are a huge part of that the informal communication that you have in between meetings and uh so i found that very interesting that they would ask me to address and and help their team get better at hallway conversations well that's you know that's even that itself is just um striking me as strange because what it does is it it doesn't allow people the time and the space to think about stuff you know i'd be concerned yes it is fluid and yes it's organic but my concern there would be it's very reactive people don't have time to 
plan or prepare or think about stuff you know and it's one thing to be doing it in the hallway but another thing to be doing it in like a, a more formal structured facilitated environment where we're having those conversations and we're exploring those ideas and we're going yeah that's a concept we could move with that's one we could discard you know and and it's about balancing those things and and of course in the hallway too you, you know you don't have the cone of silence do you <laughs> right well you sound like me you sound like a preparer <laughs> that you like you like to have time to think about your ideas and flesh them out and and uh and then kind of come to the room with your with your ideas thought out and i agree that the hallway conversations for me are probably not the most productive way of using my time mm. because I, well, that's, that being said, uh, because I am a preparer and a planner, I also really like to talk things out. Mm. And sometimes the conversation, the hallway kind of conversation just stimulates my thinking more and helps me figure out where I want to go next mm. with the idea. So maybe that maybe that is the benefit of the hallway conversation. I guess to um, um to stimulate uh, your next your next thoughts. Well I guess I guess too with with a hallway conversation as well, you know, if if I'm caught if you ask me a question in the hallway, if if it's something simplistic, you know, like what do I want for lunch, uh, you know, that's that's a relatively easy, no pain thing to answer but if I'm asked about something you know I could be between meetings and my mind is set on preparing for another meeting I'm going to or my mind is working around something I've actually got to stop change my total focus and my mindset onto this and I don't have the ability to to have um, given that more considered thought and sometimes the first idea that comes into your head might be the right thing but that but other times it might not be yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. And and I know I'm going off in a slight tangent here, but why, That's do, you, okay. why do you think some people fear um, public speaking or presenting um, as being something they'd rather die than do it? Well... Well, that's the saying. They don't actually mean that. <laughs> exactly. I, I was just going to say, there. I, when I ask people, would you really rather die than speak? They say no. Um, that That is from a really, 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 really old survey that was done in the London, the Sunday Times of London back in 1971, I believe. Uh, about a thousand people were surveyed and people have been repeating that ever since. Um, but what I do believe that that uh, makes people nervous about public speaking is just the the concern about being judged, mm. being rejected. I like to tell my clients this kind of a story about how we are animals, which people conveniently like to forget that human beings are just a kind of an animal, right? We have this big logical brain. And so we think we can outthink the animal part of ourselves. But the reality is we still have a lot of animal instinct, all that adrenaline, that fight or flight response, all of those things are there to protect us mm -hmm. from danger. And as a social animal or a pack animal or a herd animal, we don't want to be separated out from the pack because it makes us vulnerable. I mean, this is how humans have survived throughout time. We can't outrun lions. Mm -hmm. We can't, we don't have claws and sharp teeth and we're terrible natural predators. 
But what we do well is we collaborate in groups and we build structures and we we create buildings that that keep the lions out and us inside, right? <laughs> so so humans have developed collaborative um, ways of living so that we are safe. Now, when you take a human being and you pull them out from that safe group, that group that we all want to be part of, and you put them up on a stage, now suddenly they're vulnerable to the lions. Um, and not only are they vulnerable to the lions, but they're really vulnerable, vulnerable to being shunned from the group and rejected and criticized and and not be a part of the group anymore. And it's such a it's such an uh, ancient sort of instinctive response. Mm. But I really think that's where it comes from. So, Just this so these, animal instinct to protect ourselves. So these days, I guess, when people throw out that statement, it's just a, a figure of speech. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, and an I mean, automated response, you know, like your mother used is, to tell exactly. you, wash your hands before you eat your dinner. Right, exactly. Because I don't think most people really would rather die than speak. However, there is a lot of social uh, anxiety yeah. related to it. The other thing is people, you know, there's there's this sort of belief out there that there are huge, huge numbers of people who have a phobia of speaking. And you read articles about speaking and they'll, they'll talk about glossophobia. And again, people who have an actual phobia about speaking, it's a teeny tiny percentage of the population. I mean, really, most people, once you help them get past that initial nervousness, that initial fight or flight, oh, my gosh, people are judging me and criticizing me and I'm going to be rejected. Once you get past that first couple of minutes, most people are fine mm. and good to go. Well, I better get on to the questions <laughs> that I was going <laughs> to ask you because, you know, that all of that really, really good ideas and insights and help put some framework and context around presentation skills. One, one of my questions, Lisa, is why do people come to you for presentation skills coaching? Now, I don't mean you personally. Um, what do they feel is they're missing? They're missing something. Is it confidence? Or is there something in particular they feel they are missing or they're looking for you to help them be better with? Well, first of all, they do come to me because I'm fantastic. <laughs> so let's just clear that up right away. <laughs> but really, and this is this is true of my clients. I don't know if it's true of every speaking coach's clients, but my clients do tend to come to me because they feel that they aren't making as much of an impact as they would like. I get very few of the, you know, rank beginner level speakers who are scared to death and have never done it and, and now have to give their first speech. Really, most people who come to me have a certain comfort level with presenting, mm -hmm. but they know that they're not engaging. I have a lot of people who come to me and say, I'm super rigid and buttoned up and I'm professorial and I want to be more engaging and make more of a connection. So that's really why people come to me. And maybe it's because that's how I promote myself. And that's, you know, the title of my book. Mm -hmm. um, but I think 
people maybe seek me out specifically because that is how I promote my coaching style as being really focused on engagement and connection. Okay, so uh, in a lot of cases, people will come to you because they've got something that maybe they're already doing and they just need some tweaks. They know it could be better, but they're just not quite sure what it is. So they're looking for somebody to give them some guidance. Exactly. Okay, so what are some of the classic signs that you, meaning not you personally, but some of our listeners (laughs) or a member of their team really needs some help? I mean, some people love to sing and actually think they're good. <laughs> um, so, so they're classic signs like, you know, you can clearly tell if someone uh, someone can sing and someone can't. But what are the classic signs that they may need some help? Right. Well, you just reminded me of uh, American Idol. I, and I used to love watching that show because of all the people who thought they could sing. I remember one guy actually wrote a blog post about this guy because he he did his, his audition and and I think the judges said something to him like, what, ha- you know, what have people told you about your singing? And he said something like, well, I would think I, I think I would know if people thought I sucked. <laughs> but, well, he did suck. But, you know, who's going to tell him his mom? I mean, so, yes, I, I I do see a lot of people who think they're great speakers who could use help. I mean, honestly, I think most people need help. The people who are who are out there making huge paydays doing keynote speaking are still constantly working on their skills and refining their talk. So anybody who does public speaking on a regular basis, ideally you would want to consider, you would want to continue working on your skills. But some red flags that I would point out, uh, when the speaker uses their slides like a crutch, So, for example, they load their slides up with tons of tiny, tiny text and tiny, tiny bullets so they don't actually have to know or remember the content. And then they use the slides as their notes and then they ignore the audience and read straight from their slides with their back to the audience. That is kind of a sign that somebody needs help because they obviously have, they have a confidence problem, first of all, that they don't trust themselves to be able to speak without all of the content on the slides. And then, of course, there's some other issues there as well about serving the audience. Another sign to me is when a speaker doesn't include any audience engagement any activities or interaction or asking questions or just doing things that help the audience feel like they're collaborating. I really see my audience uh, as collaborators with me, that we are co-creating an experience and that I rely on them to participate. I rely on them to share their lifetime of knowledge and skills with me because I think they can learn from each other and I can learn from them. It's not just me with this vast amount of knowledge, just sort of pouring my knowledge into these empty vessels. So I believe that everybody can learn from each other. And when a speaker doesn't include any way for people to interact or share or anything like that, I I think that's a sign that they think maybe that they're, well, they could also, most problems come back to lacking confidence probably. But I think that also shows that the speaker thinks they're the only one in the room who knows anything. And that's never true. 
Well, if, if you didn't have those elements, in effect, all you're doing is just informing people, which could easily... Um, easily be one of those things that you could just send out in an email and say, here, read this. Exactly. We're going back to the whole information-heavy presentation again when somebody just kind of wants to stand up and lecture or read off of their their page for an hour. So I guess guess some of those things that you've talked about are, you know, obvious to an to an audience member but they're also and they're quite visual too whereas you know there might be things like you just get a sense you know sometimes it's a feeling like there's an energy in the room I don't know if you've ever seen somebody present and there's just like this energy in the room and you get a sense of positivity or a sense of negativity and you really don't have anything um, tangible that you look at and you go oh, that's because of this, but sometimes it's just a buzz, a feeling, or it might just be maybe, you know, you can see people in the audience, um, you know, on their phones or, um, you know, making notes or talking to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how a speaker can rub me the wrong way. There's There are some professional big name keynote speakers who I just cringe when I see them on the stage. And as a member of the National Speakers Association, I see a lot of these people who are getting paid huge sums and are popular and are invited back time after time. And I just cringe because their style is so stagey, like they're acting out a play or something. And I have such a hard time with that personally, whereas other people in the room are raving fanatics and are just on the edge of their seats with just rapture on their faces. So there's also that, there's, there's an issue of personal taste, mm. of presentation style, mm-hmm. that we all, have a, we all have a unique personality and a unique style. And, and it, sometimes we're not a good fit for an audience mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. There's that possibility. There's also a possibility that the timing is just bad, right? I mean, we've, we've all been in these kinds of presentations or seen them where something big just happened in the world or something big just happened in the company. And now this speaker has to come in and sort of get people excited about something and you just can't, you're just not feeling it. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's so many things that can be happening in a room and it's the responsibility of the speaker to read that. It's the responsibility, it's our job, um, literally, for those of us who get paid to do this, it's our job to read the room Mm. and get a sense of what the energy is in the room. And if you don't read the room right and you're not sensing that there's a negative energy or a heavy energy or a sleepy energy or whatever it is, um, you're, again, doing a disservice to your audience. Mm. So, so Lisa, moving on, what, what are a couple of tips that you could share to calm nerves if you're presenting and maybe it isn't something you do regularly, you know, back in the old days when I first started presenting, one of the things we always got told was to imagine your audience in their underwear. Do you have any, any tips? Do we still do that? We don't do that. Uh, why, why? Why would we ever have wanted to do that? I don't That's, know. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You want to, you want to imagine your audience as powerless, as vulnerable um, as you are. Vulnerable, exactly. Um, but, I mean, and there is some truth to that because the truth is, 
Uh, my, my theme is all about ditching perfection and creating connection. And the truth is, the more you can see your audience as human beings like yourself, it is easier to connect. So, I, you know, that's probably where that was coming from. They're just all vulnerable human beings who are just wearing underwear like you, uh, hopefully. Um, or maybe they're not. Uh, so a, a couple things to me that are really beneficial for ca calming your nerves. Uh, it's sort of a combination between mental stuff you can do that's in your head and stuff that you can do that's physical. So I always recommend some, some physical movement first, just some basic stretching, some neck rolls, some shoulder rolls, some deep breaths, some yawning to relax the muscles of your upper body and relax the muscles in your head and your face. That it, so not only does that help you feel physically more relaxed, but it actually helps you project your voice better mm -hmm. when you're not, when your vocal cords aren't tight and you're not tight in your mouth and your jaw and your face. So there's some, some physical kind of stretching that, and breathing that can help you, uh, you know, feel physically more relaxed. I also like to suggest getting grounded literally at the last moment after you've come out to the front of the room that you take a moment to ground yourself before you start speaking. What happens is a lot of people, they're all in their heads already and they're waiting for their turn to speak and they're sitting in the room or they're sitting off to the side somewhere and in their head, they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this or whatever, right? P you know, the people who are less experienced are gonna be doing this more than some of us. But a lot of times we're just in our head. Am I gonna remember this? And what do I look like? Do I have food in my teeth and my shoes hurt? And all these things in our heads. So when you ground yourself before you speak, you get out of your head and into your body and into um, a sense of presence with the audience. So I suggest people to, I suggest that you go to the front of the room and you just stand there for a moment, take a breath, relax your knees, don't let your knees lock, let your arms hang just sort of gently at your sides and really feel the earth under your feet. Literally grounded means that you feel the ground and look around the room and make eye contact with some of those human beings that are in the room and smile. If you know somebody in the room, smile. If you don't know anybody in the room, look for the people who have a friendly look on their face <laughs> and smile at those people, you know, make some eye contact and get present with the people in the room because this is your chance that couple of seconds before you start speaking this is your chance to really take ownership of the room and it is a really powerful feeling when you just let yourself be physically and mentally present with the people in front of you and you you get out of your head and you get into your body and you get into the room. And when you take the time to do that, it feels amazing. Wow, they're great, great insights. Um, I, I know that we're fast running out of time. I've got a few more questions, Lisa. Um, are organizations investing money in programs to get their staff more comfortable with presenting? Yes, I find that they are. And I find that they've, they're a, a lot more open to creative, solutions 
than they used to be. And so I've been coaching and training for 12 years. And uh, I used to be asked to come and do an hour or maybe a half day of training. And they really, it was a lot of just kind of straightforward, you know, here's the information, right? Here's the information you need about speaking with, with some interaction and some activities and so forth. Uh, but I, I have found that over the past few years, when I've really started to talk through the benefits of the skills and confidence that they're hoping to build in their employees, that companies are much more willing now to invest in longer trainings that include practice, live presentation practice and role playing and getting feedback from the group and videotaping and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I find that companies are a lot more open these days to, to kind of a more well-rounded approach to training. And I guess they understand the value now. They understand the importance yeah. mm -hmm. importance of it all. So my next question was, why is it so important? But I think uh, in our conversations uh, previously, you know, we've talked about the power of persuasion and motivation and activation and, and mm -hmm. creating some forward momentum. Um, let's just round this all off by by asking the question, you know, even if you're not presenting in a, um, a format where you're getting up as an expert or an individual on a stage, but you're thinking more about even just your, your regular team meetings, etc. Um, how, how can knowing and having a, a range of presentation skills or feeling comfortable with presenting um, make you or your organisation more productive? Well, I see two ways that having good speaking skills can make an individual more productive and, a, and especially a leader. And um, so the first thing that comes to my mind is that when you are an individual who's part of a team and you avoid speaking up in meetings, and I actually have clients who come to me for this mm. just to help them speak up in meetings. They're not even giving formal presentations but they know that they're, they're holding back. They know that, that by not sharing their thoughts and their ideas, that they literally may be contributing to delays and setbacks and holding back projects because their great idea <laughs> for improving a process or a product or something like that is not being shared. And, um, so you know, I try to remind my clients, it doesn't matter if you're standing up giving a formal presentation in front of 500 people or whether you're just sitting in a team meeting, your thoughts and ideas are needed and your voice is needed. So that's one way that you can help your team and your company move forward and take forward strides by actually sharing the great ideas that I know you have but that you're not confident enough to share. So that's, I'm sorry, did you want to? No, no, I was just going to say, so So what I take away from that is, you know, confidence for in a formal environment where you're presenting as the, as the presenter facilitator or informally in those conversations. So I guess even to break this down a little further, it's almost like presentation skills and, and having a good foundation knowledge, even though you might not be presenting to an auditorium, enables you to articulate your messages much better than just yes. um, verbal diarrhea, if you'll pardon the expression, where people just sometimes <laughs> say, or they're, they're talking through an idea, but 
sometimes I, I guess when you you have a um, an understanding of presentation skills it, it's like getting inside your head and being able to take well here's the concept how do I articulate that and this might sound a strange analogy but I remember when I started doing television uh, interviews one of the things that I learned about very early on was sound bites so mm-hmm. this sort of stuff's almost like sound bites isn't it where you're in a meeting you can see that you want to make a, a point you don't want to open your mouth and and just talk and and you see see that potentially or you share that potentially you're not quite confident because the idea that you're trying to impart you're still building as you're um, as you're verbal verbally explaining it enables you to articulate your message within in yourself to be able to bring it out as a soundbite. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I I teach with with my clients who are trying to get better in meetings. And that is to always come to your meetings prepared. Mm. Uh, to, and this is obviously better if your company sends out meeting agendas beforehand. But I advise them to look over the agenda or find out somehow what kinds of things are going to be discussed in the meeting and make an effort to come to the meeting with something prepared either to share or to ask this is how you get practice articulating your ideas. And so when you, when you think about what you want to bring up in advance, then you don't sit there in the meeting feeling like, oh, oh no, I had this great idea, but the time has passed and now it's too late for me to say anything. And now they've moved on to another topic. And then you don't want to jump back in and say, hey, can we go back to that thing we talked about 10 minutes ago? So when people come to their meeting prepared, Even if it's just, this is real baby steps, but just plan one thing, one question you want to ask or one idea that you want to share that's relevant to the topics that you're discussing in the meeting. And that will give you, uh, again, so much more opportunity and practice Mm. to articulate your thoughts and ideas. And that will also enable you to come in feeling comfortable because you're you're prepared. And I know in today's world, that is such a challenge to do. But if we can get up from our desks and go to wherever it is that our meaning is going to be, it's not like you don't have time. You just need to, <laughs> right. you just, you just need to perhaps allocate that mental space for yourself to go. Okay, well, you know, I'm going to this meeting, and you know, we often we get frustrated by meetings in business because sometimes we feel like, and I know when when I would train sometimes, and I would demonstrate things in Outlook, I would create a calendar entry called a meeting to discuss the importance of meetings. Um, <laughs> because sometimes we have these things for the sake of them, but they don't necessarily have any framework and structure. And can you tell I'm somebody who likes framework and structure? Um, yes, but really, if agree. you can... You, you have two choices when you walk into a meeting. You can choose to let go of that hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is of your time and just be at the mercy of whatever happens in there. Or you can give yourself a little bit of space and it doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It can it can even be a matter of, you know, the minutes or a, a minute or so as you're walking to it going, well, you know, so, so what do I hope to get out of this meeting? And in fact, right. we should be asking ourselves some of those questions before we even accept some of those meeting invites. But I know in a lot of instances, you know, we may not have a choice. You know, right. it's, it's a regular team meeting you go along to and, you know, at, at some point, if you feel confident enough, there's nothing to stop you saying, well, you know, so, so what is the purpose of this? 
You know, why are we here? Right. Why do we do this? If that's if that's the only question you bring to the meeting, you're going to be ahead of a lot of other people. <laughs> and it, it's a it's a brave person that does that, but it doesn't have to be brave. It can just be somebody uh, confident enough to uh, to shake up the status quo and say, well, hey, you know. Is this really serving a purpose? I like to think of things, I don't know about you, but I like to think of things as as having a particular purpose. So I believe things have a reason, a season or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So we have a reason why we do things and sometimes it's uh, it's seasonal. So we might have a meeting that is a regular meeting and we've been having this meeting every Monday morning at 9 till 9.30. But at some point in time, we need to sit down and go, well, is this productive? Maybe what we need to do is drop it back to fortnightly. Maybe we don't need it at all. Maybe we need it once a month. Sometimes it's about shaking things up, isn't it? Because, you know, we can get into that sort of just, you know, rolling along, can't we? Oh, absolutely. Well, one thing that came to mind while while you were talking about this was that uh, another example of how speaking skills can help you in your career in general is that when you are a person who speaks up and contributes, when you're the person on the team who always has something of value to share or asks the smart questions, it expands your influence. It mm. grows your, your sort of visibility and credibility as a person who knows stuff. And that's a person who's going to get promoted. And that's a person who's going to grow mm. in their company and in their field. Wow. Because they're because they're willing to contribute and they're willing to take a chance because this is always risky, right? It's always risky to speak up, but they're taking a risk uh, to expand their influence and get their ideas heard. And that's a person who's going to go places. Mm. Lisa, look, we've, we've pretty much run out of time and you've shared some amazing <laughs> insights. Um, I know that you've got a book called Presenting for Humans and that you also do one-on-one coaching. Can you tell us a bit more about this and how our listeners can get a copy of your book if they want it or to work out if you might be a, a good fit to work with them? Because I'm imagining you do remote stuff even though you're based in the US. I do and thank you for asking, Donna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do work with entrepreneurs, mostly my clients are mostly entrepreneurs and professionals who want to learn how to create and deliver more engaging presentations so that they can build their businesses through speaking. And I also offer corporate training and virtual group programs. And there's one coming up in November. So I'll give my website and people can go check that out if they're interested. Um, and also in-person retreats in Southern California. If any, if any of my Australian friends would like to come over to Southern California next March, um, I will be having one of my two and a half day retreats. And the best way to reach me is is at coachlisab.com. I should probably say that slower. Coach, as in you know, I'm a speaking coach. Coachlisab.com, and. And then my email address is lisa at coachlisab.com if you're interested in discussing private coaching or training or if you want to learn about group programs. And my book is on Amazon. So look for Presenting for Humans. And the subtitle is Insights for Speakers on Ditching Perfection and Creating Connection. 
Fantastic. Lisa, look, thank you so very much for sharing your expertise. Listeners, thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights show. For more information on our services, visit donnahanson.com.au or the three W's primesolutions.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Expert Insights Show. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe via the podcast page on www.donnahanson.com.au or through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn or Stitcher. Until next time, as Donna says, don't forget to work smarter and not harder with technology.